Hey everyone, welcome to a book club exclusive version of the Renovari podcast. This is Carolyn Ahrens sitting in Nate's chair today, getting to talk with Deirdre Lenau, uh, our wonderful book club facilitator. Um, Deirdre, thank you so much for agreeing to guide us through Henry's book. I know I speak for so many people in the book club um, when I say that we're just really grateful for the way you've kind of shepherded us through this. So thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. It's been a joy for me as well. Oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, what we did is we asked our readers what kind of uh, final questions they might have for you while we still have you uh, in our reaches. And so maybe we can just uh, dive in and, and see what you might say about some of our questions. Um, the first one is from Paula, and she's just noticing how much Henry talks about um, our brokenness, his own brokenness, our brokenness. Actually, um, she puts it really well, so let me read it to you. She says, Henry's picture of our lives being chosen, blessed, broken, and given is so fundamental to our relationship and walk with God that I wonder why it's not used more generally in our churches, where the prevalent stance seems to be more to do with being fixed and conforming to a particular model of how we should be disciples. Uh, What do you think about Henry's emphasis on brokenness, and do you see more Christians in the future adapting Henry's view of discipleship um, as it seems to offer, in Paula's view, more hope and encouragement for Christians who struggle with self-rejection and feelings of not being up to scratch or being mm. much used to God. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think it goes back to Henry's um, uniqueness kind of back in the day when he was first beginning to write. I think that was the reason so many people were drawn to Nowen's writing and his descriptions about the spiritual life because he he met them where they were. And mm. for, for so many of them, brokenness was right where they were, uh, inside the church or outside the church. And so I think, and Nate kind of mentioned this in one of the podcasts, it was a great observation to say others have come along sort of mm. in his in his wake and have done similar things like Brennan Manning would be to me a great example of uh, speaking in that same vein. Um, And I'm hopeful that there are others that are doing that today and that will do that today. You know, one of our struggles uh, in the Christian path is Phariseeism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we often, get caught into the legalism and who's in and who's out and, and um, keeping the rules. And if we're not humble people, that tends to make us start judging others uh, according to, to that. So, and I'm just as guilty at times of, of doing that. So I'm grateful for people like Nowen who will kind of come speak not into the system you know, not into the institution, but try to come speak straight into where people are. That is what a spiritual guide does. A good spiritual guide finds out where people are so that they can lead them uh, to a better path. And uh, I think now one does that well, but I think there are others who are doing it as well. Um, you know, I don't know if Paula is wanting to do any writing or if she's done writing, but I would encourage her and spur her on. Be one more voice. Um, that does that and does it well. 
There you go, Paula. I think you just got commissioned. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I always think about how there's per- there's permission very often in the church to be vulnerable in the past tense. Yes. Right, but not in not in the present tense. So yeah, uh, great he- great point. Yes, I think uh, I think, uh, and I love I love your observation that spiritual direction really is is being honest about where we are. That's yeah. the only place where we can start. Um, while we're talking about <clears throat> the way Henry writes about brokenness, um, Holly makes, I, I think, a helpful distinction. She says there's a bit of difference between the brokenness that is a result of our own sin versus brokenness at the hands of another or from living in a broken world. Okay, I said that was a helpful distinction, but I shouldn't put words in your mouth. I want to know. <laughs> um, she says, Holly says, I believe they both can bring us to a place of knowing God's love for us in a new way. But I wonder if you have any thoughts on how that impacts the way we move towards befriending our brokenness. Are there different kinds of brokenness? Um, do we deal with them in different ways, I guess is maybe the question. That's a great observation. I think there definitely is some distinction to be made there. And um, you could say that in the end, where befriending our brokenness brings us, in either case, is ultimately to transformation. Yeah. Um, to, to more life, but you would, I think he could make a case for saying we embrace one or the other differently. When it's caused by our own sin, then of course the path toward befriending our brokenness is a path of confession mm. and, of, and of repentance um, because you're not, you're not helped unless you can come to the truth of it. Um, and that's what confession and repentance does. And it's not to put us down, it's to bring us life. I think um, for, the same, for the same thing, though, when we are caught in a broken world or we are broken by others, um, sin or unintentional things, you know, then the way to befriend it might be to acknowledge its reality, also to acknowledge in that sense, unlike our own sin, to acknowledge that we may not have control mm-hmm. uh, over those circumstances in our life or, you know, what has happened uh, or what has been done. But even still there too, scripture is very uh, clear to say, you know, that God can make all things work for our good. Mm. And that, and that even in those can be a path toward life and a path toward transformation. I mean, that's the goodness of God. That's, that's the goodness of the gospel, isn't it? Is that there's no kind of brokenness that he can't redeem, uh, but the way we work through it, she points, you know, she makes a great point. The ways we Im- befriend it or accept it or embrace it is different depending on what the circumstance is. Yeah, that's cool. I like that the path, the path through might be a, a bit different, even though the destination is maybe, maybe the same. Yes. Um, and but in in both cases, it, it sounds to me like there's some allowing ourselves to grieve. Would you say? Oh sure. Oh yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of to, being honest about where we are. Yes, to acknowledge the reality of it. Yeah. Because uh, grief is acknowledging that this is it is what it is, and yeah. this is the and this is the effect it has had on me yeah. and on my life. Yeah. Okay, we're still on this subject of um, Henry and his brokenness. Judy asks a kind of a biographical question. She asks, Mm -hmm. uh, did Henry Nouwen share with anyone else the source of his own 
great pain and suffering? That's a great question, too. The, the short answer is yes. Um, Henry did have uh, people that he shared with. He especially had that when he got to L'Arche, Day Spring. Um, when he was teaching um, in the academic world, I think he probably felt less support and had less of a sense of family, although, of course, he certainly still had good friends. But I think when he, especially when he got to L'Arche, he had a safe place and he mm. had a family and uh, he had people that he deeply, deeply confided in. Now, Henry didn't, didn't come, although, although Henry, uh, as we said, was accused of never having an unpublished thought, um, <laughs> I, I think he did. There were, there were some places that he did not go, um, you know, to the depths in his writing that he was not um, as open about for his own well-being, um, but he, he definitely had a community. Mm, that's good. And I guess that answers Jeannie's question. Jeannie was asking whether his, the Nowen's time at L'Arche, um, helped him, whether that was a healthier place for him, helped him to balance his personal and spiritual life in ways that either his teaching life or even his monastic life, those times when he would withdraw to a more monastic life. Um, yeah, I think I think um, he, you know, the important thing, too, about the community and the family that he had at large was that not only were they a safe place, but they are also a place of accountability mm. and uh, in the community. And so he found, I think, a little bit more healthy uh, ways for his life because he had a community that would sort of call him on the carpet. And um, when he was overcommitting himself when he was doing too much, when he was away from the community too much. Uh, it, my, uh, my observations is that they were not reticent, um, <laughs> you know, uh, to call him to account. And Henry was a high-strung fellow. Uh, he often committed himself past his limitations. And so this was a place that helped him stay grounded. That's really cool. I, I think in other writing with Henry, I've, He's really convicted me in the area of kind of image management. Is it, it's in his book on leadership. What's that called in Jesus name or in the name yes. of Jesus, which is, what's the title? In the, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, where he talks about the false self and the authentic self and how, I mean, he was in a community that really didn't care about the sort of image okay. management kind of stuff, you know, the degrees and his intelligence and his writing pedigree. Um, so I can see that being like, the extreme version of dealing with the false self, right? <laughs> dealing with image management, just go around people who could care less about that stuff, about your That's resume. Right. Yeah. They wouldn't let, they wouldn't let you do that. Um, they wouldn't let him build that scaffolding around yeah. him that we're yeah. all tempted to do. Beautiful and challenging, I would think, but beautiful. Yes. Um, okay. Well, Beth has this really interesting question. She really resonated with some of the things that Henry wrote about unity and community. And she, uh, she zeroed in where he said the the demon divides, the spirit unites. And she says, it's a timely subject in light of divisions between groups of people worldwide that seem to be getting worse and worse. Um, the section about unity uh, in um, in this book caught my attention. I was especially intrigued by the fact that he applied the unity that comes from the spirit to inner divisions and loneliness versus feeling at home 
sadness versus gladness. Um, so just this connection between where we are spiritually and um, unity. And so she asks, could you elaborate on the statement that the spiritual life counteracts the countless divisions that pervade our daily life and cause destruction and violence? It's a big sentence. <laughs> you got some elaborations on that? Well, um, on on the external side, the idea of the spirit bringing unity um, and healing divisions, Henry was uh, a strong theme throughout Henry's writing was this idea of competition versus compassion. Mm. And um, he was trying to challenge the culture that was very much adept to competition. And even within the church, we tend to compete with one another. We tend to create divisions that way and violence and harm. And so Henry was a real big advocate of, you know, our character by being shaped by the character of Jesus through this idea of compassion. Because life with God should motivate us to build as many bridges as possible, uh, not tear them down. And that even when we would disagree, there still should be compassion and the desire to understand and some humility. Mm. So I so I think in dealing with kind of what we're facing right now uh, in our world, that's certainly a, a word. Um, and I think even on the inside, compassion toward ourselves. Mm. Um, you know, and, and then he uses those examples, you know, um, Loneliness versus feeling at home, sadness versus gladness. I think sometimes the place where we do the most violence or the most violence is done to us is through is from ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And so Henry would also, I think, guide us or coach us on being compassionate with ourselves. Now, did he always practice what he preached? <laughs> uh, nope. Uh, and none of us and none of us do. But it's a good word. Yeah, it really reminds me of his emphasis on, uh, you know, starting with our own belovedness, how we just are not capable of seeing the belovedness of someone else and really fully until we see our, our own belovedness. Yes. And there's a, there's a quote, and I can't remember who said it, but if you're at peace, then there's at least a little peace in the world, mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind of, kind That's of starting great. there. So as much as we don't want to be self-centered, there does have to be that kind of sealing of our identity for us to be agents of peace and love in the world, I think. So just Yes, and that, that stops us from needing to prove ourselves. And, you know, Henry says quite a bit about that too. Yeah, yeah, love it. Okay, so we have um, a, a couple questions about uh, kind of, I would say they're about the Christology in, in this book. Um, th this question actually came in from Ron right at the beginning of our reading of the book club. So I know it was really jumping out to him right from the beginning. And he says, well, okay, so how did Mr. Nowen ever expect to reach out to the beloved of New York City, considering God's divine conspiracy? There's a nod to uh, our friend <laughs> Dallas. Um, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed, which we love. Without ever using the name of Jesus or the kingdom of God. He doesn't talk very much uh, about the person of Jesus or the kingdom of, the God, of God. And uh, Ron mentions John twelve thirty two, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Um, mm -hmm. So how do you respond to that? The fact that this book uh, doesn't seem to explicitly talk about uh, the person of Jesus very much. Yeah, of course, I don't know exactly what was in 
Henry's head um, when he wrote this project, you know, for his friend. My speculation would be that Nowen was trying to start where Fred might be able to connect, um, at least to in reference to his Jewish roots. So I can only speculate that maybe that's why Henry just um, used the reference to God more uh, in the book um, and less to Jesus. Um, I did notice that as well um, for this book because it's a little unusual for now on. Um, he's, most of his books are very Christocentric. They're, he, he makes more references to the Gospels than any other part of Scripture mm. in his books. Um, so I guess I would, I would say to Ron, don't, don't take just this one work, you know, of Henry and, and judge, uh, all of his message in his writing. But certainly it is true that, uh, his references to Christ and the kingdom of God are limited here. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise I'm not sure. Right, um, right. You know, why it, he took this approach. I, it well, and I have a couple thoughts if I can share them. Sure. One is one is that um, the whole book is structured around the Last Supper, uh, which is this you know this uh, huge moment in Jesus' story and and exactly. his his life and death and resurrection for us. So so it's interesting that we say well it's not very Christocentric and yet it's completely centered uh, in the life of Jesus and what he modeled for us. I, th I just think that's inter interesting. Um, and the other thing I think about with this question um, is, you know, I have this past as a, as a singer songwriter. And when I was first uh, getting started, my pastor who had just done his um, master's degree in evangelism, he just written this book in evangelism. He came to me and he said, you know, everybody's trying to write songs for kind of, the last stage in someone's uh, journey towards relationship with Christ. Um, uh, you know, we all kind of want to be the ones who sealed the deal. And he said, you know, <laughs> m m most people, um, especially if they're adults and they haven't had a relationship with Jesus, uh, there's a whole bunch of things that they have to come to terms with on their journey to thinking about their need for, for Jesus. They have to come to terms with the fact that this is a broken place and that they can't make it better on their own. And that no matter, even when things are going really well, there still seems to be a hole that nothing seems to fit. And, and so this, my pastor said to me, make sure you're writing songs. You know, it's really important to write songs for the last, those last stages of the journey towards Christ, but also be writing songs um, for those early stages. So I don't know that I just was thinking about that as I was reading this book and thinking, okay, there's lots of, Lots of books in Henry's canon that are, uh, you know, for for different stages in the journey. But it's interesting that this one is like maybe just getting getting people in touch with kind of that gnawing emptiness uh, mm -hmm. in their hearts. But then the funny thing is, I think it has spoken more to Christians <laughs> than to anyone else, right? Like yes. Just, you know, um, which is funny. Yeah. Yeah. His, his, his epilogue tells that story. And, you know, I... Yeah. I find it interesting, you know, I guess um, Henry didn't have to frame this book with that story. Um, he could have left his friend Fred, you know, out uh, in the sense that it wasn't a success uh, as to what he was intending to do with Fred. But he didn't leave that out. He, you know, he told the whole story. Yeah. Uh, and yet also referenced the fact that, you know, many believers have found real value in it. So I appreciate that. Yeah. You know? 
I, I do too. The, the honesty there and yep. Yeah. And it says, it really says something about, um, you know, kind of where we started this conversation, still some of the distortions we have in the church that, that so many of us who've been walking with Jesus for a long time still need to be reminded of our belovedness, mm -hmm. still need oh. to go back, back to that. And that's um, so true. Before we leave the topic of Fred, uh, Julianne is wondering if you happen to know what happened to Fred. Do you know what <laughs> I do not. I do not know anything about him. I'm sorry to say. No. Um, well, it's a mystery. I think we should all yeah. work together on it. And uh, yeah, perhaps it could be a, a, a CNN special. Where, <laughs> where is Fred? Yes. So uh, Ray has a question. Um, uh, really uh, about this uh, struggle that Henry had to actually connect with Fred with where he was at. And he uh, Ray ends up asking, can you share some insight on how a Christian teacher can effectively bridge the gap between spiritual living and a secular world when interacting with students who do not share his or her faith? Got some thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. Um I'm not sure how I would write a book on it, but certainly in conversations with students, I do. I agree with Ray. I think it's important to figure out their worldview, to figure out how they're looking at things, even, you know, basic worldview questions like, who am I? Where am I? How do I explain this world I live in? What went wrong with it, if anything? Um, what's the answer to that? And sometimes diving into those questions gets to what's really their question. Um, and, and what is really their struggle, which opens a door. Uh, it opens a door, I think, if you're willing to understand, to hear questions with respect, um, and to challenge them, you know, um, when you don't think they're being honest with themselves. Um, I, I work with a lot of students who come from this postmodern, you know, what we label as postmodern worldview, and they make a lot of assumptions, because that's because that's your culture, and what is your culture? Your culture is something you tend not to question, and and so sometimes it's valuable to help them ask the right questions and find a path into a conversation. You you know rarely do are people argued into the kingdom, uh, but I think openly letting them speak their doubts and letting them have their questions is a path toward good conversation. Yeah, that's great. And uh, Henry maybe didn't have that pedagogy quite down <laughs> with with the writing of this book, but the the Holy Spirit used it in the way the way he wanted to anyway, right? So there Thanks. there is there's some mystery to this, and and sometimes um, yeah, sometimes God has something different in mind than than even we do. But but yeah. that's great getting your perspectives as a prof. Uh, Rebecca has a question that probably goes back a little bit to this question about the Christology in this book. Um, I don't know if it's a fair question to ask of you, but you can tell me if it is or not. <laughs> she says, what was Henry's understanding of personal salvation? What, what would he say about how one comes to salvation? Yeah, I, you know, sometimes I will get emails from the Nowen Society with questions similar to this that people will ask. And, and they say, hey, you're our evangelical buddy and friend, you know, will you help translate Henry? Um, and so I give it a shot. You know, my basic answer is that we have to keep in mind Henry's personal context. Um, he was a Roman Catholic priest. And 
though admittedly perhaps an unusual one. Um, I've had folks who read Henry Nouwen books and books of Henry Nouwen and never had a clue that he was a Roman Catholic. Mm. Um, so I think, because they obviously didn't read the back cover of the book, I don't know. Um, so, you know, I think we embrace Henry so much in his Christocentric, gospel-centric kind of writing that we find ourselves wanting him to express um, these points like we would want them expressed or like we're accustomed to having them expressed. And he certainly does does not do that. So I would just say, you know, remember uh, that he's a Roman Catholic, so he's not going to talk like an evangelical. Um, I believe that he basically describes personal salvation as saying yes to the love of God. Mm-hmm. And and certainly that's reflected in this book that we've been reading. Um, he, he, Henry also would often use the phrase that we have many conversions. Mm. And, and people get disturbed <laughs> with that phrase uh, because we, when we think of conversion, we think of a one-time conversion, um, mm-hmm. you know, into salvation. But he's meaning this in a spiritual formation kind of way. He's meaning this in the sense of that there are many changes, there are many transformations that take place along the spiritual path, and that um, he calls, but he calls them conversions. So um, he's, he's not going to talk about salvation the way we expect him to talk about salvation. And yet I think it's fair to say the message of the gospel saying yes to a relationship with God is prominent in his work. That's helpful. Thank you. And and actually, I think it, it can be a nice counterbalance to the evangelical focus we have sort of on a one-time event, which can turn out to be just sort of a gospel of sin management. Okay, I've, ch- I've ticked that box, you know. Um, so that's, that's one of the helpful things why we're so big in streaming, swimming in the streams in, in Renovari of different nuances of this truth of life in Jesus and and uh, different ways of thinking about it and saying yes to it. So really helpful. Exactly. And yeah. I don't, I don't want to assume that Rebecca is an evangelical. Um, no. I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying that um, that often is the question because we come from different traditions. We struggle a little bit with the language. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking that, Rebecca. It helps us, yeah. helps us explore the book better. Okay. Then Paige has a question um, and it's about this whole, uh, keying in on these words, you are my son, the beloved, my favor rests on you. She says, can we take that specific blessing as if he is saying it over us? To me, Paige says, those beautiful loving words were to Jesus. Now, this isn't to say that God doesn't call me beloved, but I don't know if I can take those words from that context and apply them to me. Uh, do you want to help us with, with that? Is it, can we take that blessing and appropriate it for ourselves? <laughs> I think, I think we can, although I do really understand her, her strut, you know, that it's stretching, um, mm. or that it feel, or that it feels like a stretch. Um, I think we have to go and she, I, I can tell from her question, she sees this too, but certainly scripture is clear that God loves us all, um, mm. that we are his beloved. Um, I, I get that from that particular situation, she might be uncomfortable with Henry blanketing uh, all of us with that particular moment. But I also see a connection in the Eucharist motif, as you've mentioned, that Henry uses throughout this whole book. 
Uh, now and says that we are chosen, we are blessed, we are broken, we are given, just like Jesus uh, mm-hmm. was. And he doesn't say it in so many words, but I just make the connection. We are called the body of Christ. And just like Christ's body was chosen, blessed, broken, and given, so are we mm-hmm. meant uh, to do the same. So I, I think it definitely applies. We are we are the body of Christ, and you know we are His brothers and sisters uh, under you know the fatherhood of God. And so I think there are many many ways to support what Henry was trying to do. But mm-hmm. I also do. But I also do understand the struggle mm-hmm. a the little question. bit. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. Okay, I'm going to ask you one more. This is from Ali. Um, and she's talking about the, the uh, I think it was the third article you wrote for us. Um, I think it was the third one. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, That's right. Uh, okay, great. About where you were reading in John 15 about um, bearing fruit and how you were coming to see that really is so much about abiding in Christ. Um, and so she says, could you expand a little on how you abide in Christ and give yourself to him? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I see, I take Richard Foster's wonderful words as well as Henry Nouwen's wonderful words about the idea that these spiritual habits are definitely one way to abide, um, to stay connected because they, perhaps it's a different metaphor, but they create space for God. They, mm-hmm. they create, they create the opportunity for connection. You know, so certainly I would, you know, list right in there all the, all the things you might expect, like scripture helps me abide. Um, But not just reading scripture. I've lately in the last few years of my life found memorizing scripture to be more and more helpful to me, to help me abide. Uh, It keeps me meditating and thinking and reflecting in a much deeper way uh, as I try to memorize Prayer, of course, would be an answer you would expect, and that's true. But one of the ways that of late has been helpful for me is that practice of the breath prayer, you know, or the Jesus prayer, where you just have one short phrase from a hymn or from scripture or something that you just take with you through the day, uh, like, I am yours, or something as simple as that. And I've really found that connective for me. Um. Spiritual friendships are key for me uh, to keeping me connected. I stay connected personally to Jesus, and I stay connected to them to Jesus, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, through, through them to Jesus. Um, and so I just think relationships like that are, are so important. I'm blessed to have a husband, you know, who is also my spiritual friend. So that's um, deeply um, connective for me. Um, you know, silence and solitude are certainly in there as well. Getting out into God's creation and taking a walk in the woods, those kinds of things help me abide and help me stay connected. Just for starters. Yeah, beautiful. And of course, uh, here comes a shameless plug, attending the Renovari Institute for Christian Spiritual Formation. Absolutely. (laughs) We're very proud of you as one of our alum. And I believe Allie, who asked this question, uh, is an alum as well. So yeah, Uh, listen, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your generosity with us. Um, It's really, really been good. Hopefully we we can sign you up for one of these again before too long. 
Amen. Thanks for the invitation. There you I go. See, I got it on. I got it recorded. You said yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, dear. Blessings. Thank you. Thanks.